This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Architects work a lot, right? I mean, that's what most people think, and it's what you would expect to hear if you straight up asked an architect, do you work a lot? Since we all know, or at least believe that the answer is gonna be yes, maybe it simply means that architects just like working all the time. Welcome to episode 116, Workaholic. Today's episode is generously brought to you with support from Construction Specialties, maker of architectural building products designed to master the movement of buildings, people, and natural elements. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're going to be talking about working a lot. And I don't just mean that we're going to be talking about working the entire time of the show. I mean, but rather architects in the idea that we work all the time, i.e. workaholics. And the question is, is are we this way by choice or possibly because it's due to how our industry is set up to function? But first, before we get into all that, Andrew, Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year to you, too. Yeah. First show of, oh my gosh, 2023. I know. So exciting. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be stuck in 2022 for another three months. It'll happen. Well, it's a new year. We have new intro, outro music. Yeah. This is number five. Yeah. And a new batch of topics to discuss while possibly reevaluating old ones to see how things have changed. So I'm excited. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to a full new year. (laughs) We don't sound convinced, I don't think. <laughs> I, don't th- I don't know that we do either at this point, but <laughs> okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. Look, the fact that we're talking about that particular topic right now feeds right into today's topic of being a workaholic. <laughs> yeah. So we have touched on this subject a few times, coming at it from literally all the different edges that we could come at it from. But I thought it would be interesting if we came at it like head on in today's episode. This is not a work-life balance conversation, even though it would be super easy to fall into that slipstream. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a couple of those kinds of conversations, I think, in the past. Well, when Andrew and I were talking about this as a topic, he's like, hey, well, we kind of talked about that in this episode, in this episode, in this episode. And I was like, okay, yeah, let me go back and check them out to see like, just how did we look at it and how do we talk about it and see if it'd be any different. And whether or not architects as workaholics is even a topic worth unboxing, which I think it is. So on episode 82, which was the side hustle, we talked about a little bit in that one. But that one was, it seems that everybody these days has a side hustle, a means in which you can leverage your creative genius into additional stream of revenue to help you make ends meet between paychecks. And whatever that side hustle is, there are a lot of options out there. But the question is, What's right for you? And is it even worth it? So that was the premise for the side hustle. Mm -hmm. It wasn't coming at it from a workaholic standpoint. It was really like, I need to make more money. How can I do it? Yeah. Filling in the gap of your quote unquote free time to make more money doing something else. So I have here, the takeaway is that now that there seems to be prevalence of side hustles out there, the need for an alternative income stream, does that reflect that architects need to make more money? Or is it reflective of the fact that architects need an additional outlet to express themselves in a more free environment? 
Like, I'm going to do what I want to do as opposed to what I was hired to do. We kind of concluded that it was about making more money. <laughs> yeah, for the most part. Although it seems like it doesn't matter who you are. You've got side hustles these days. Even if you're probably making good money, you still have side hustles. There's always something. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of the thing in a way. Well, we also talked about it, and I thought this was a really good episode. So episode 97 was on burnout. Mm -hmm. When we decided to do that, it's really because it was a topic that was coming up a lot in my office. And honestly, I had it bad. And I kind of concluded that I might have been in a state of burnout for the last decade. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. feel like I had it kind of mid-fall this semester, like I was just burnt. But it's a whole other story. Well, that episode really kind of came at it from the, we've all experienced it at one time or another. And for some people, they seem to experience it all the time. Architecture is a profession that seems to require more than its fair share of 40 plus hour weeks. That bit's important to today's conversation. So it only seemed reasonable that we would take time to talk about it. The takeaway on 97 was that the architectural profession unnecessarily seems to romanticize the amount of work it takes to do our job. And hopefully, the information we talked about in that show really had to do with, can we get you back on a more productive and healthier lifestyle? This was like, if you're having burnout, here's some options for you. Here's some things that you can change in your behavior. Here's some resources for you to get help. That's really what that topic was about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do think it's funny that in that episode, we talked about the romanticizing of how much we work. Yeah. That's been a thing my entire life. That it's like a badge of honor to... Yeah. I mean, even in school, pull all-nighters and stuff, you're like, yeah, it's a celebration. You know, it really was that way. Since I'm relatively new to drinking coffee, and even then, I'm really drinking a little bit of coffee with a lot of milk in it. <laughs> People would go out. There was a place called, like, Space Captain Quackenbush's Intergalactic Coffee House or something. This is in Austin. I mean, some the wackiest, longest name ever. Okay. People just called it Quackenbush's. All right. And that was like part of the name. Hmm. They would go get coffee and it was open 24 hours. So people go, we're going to go get coffee and it'd be two in the morning. Yeah. And I didn't drink coffee. So I never went and did any of those coffee runs. And people would have like, oh, look, I got 12 empty coffee cups on my desk. I'm killing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never could understand that. Then we also had in episode 103, the topic was architects and the art of being happy. And that premise was, take a look around you and you're likely to see what I see and read the emails I receive and you're likely to start believing that everybody seems to be unhappy <laughs> right now. <laughs> Which, I'm laughing, not because it's funny, but because it was universal. Yeah. There was something, I don't know, I go, is there something in the collective architectural, like, we're we all taking CEU courses that are subliminally making us all unhappy like why as an industry did everybody seem to be so completely unhappy disgruntled yep yeah well we concluded on that show that really what people needed to do was look for happiness in real time unmiraculous events you know like you don't have to go on some fantastic trip to find happiness like you can be happy because something's cool I think we even told a story about, look how cool this sharpened pencil lead is. Yeah. Like, that's cool. Learn how to appreciate those moments. Those small things and not wait for the big things to make you happy. Yes. So we've come at the idea of how we work or what the nature and how we work and what that does to us. But we've never really addressed, like for a show, as a topic, the idea of architects are workaholics. Mm -hmm. Directly. So here's one of the things that I think is very interesting. 
I did a poll on Instagram because when we decided we were going to do this, I was like, all right, let's, everyone knows we're workaholics, right? Like we work all the time, right? Mm, Yeah. Let's get some numbers just to prove up just how much everybody thinks we work all the time. And you know what I found out? We don't work all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious. So I did a series of questions. And the first question was really, really straightforward. And it was, how many hours per week do you work? Now, I got a lot of DMs of people asking for clarification and go, well, but here's my circumstance. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. They're like, well, like some people, they'd say, is this for self-employed or not? And I go, I don't care. It's like, how much are you working? If it's your job, it's your job. It's your job. What difference does it make? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I'm only working 40 in job number one, maybe I get another 20 in job number two side hustle. How many hours are you working? That's what I want to know. Yeah. So I'm answering these DMs, trying to give people some kind of clarification to like the parameters of what we're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And as of this recording, so it's been like 20 hours since I started that poll. Yeah. We've had 814 people respond to it. Hmm. So that's a pretty good collection size. Yeah, that's a pretty good chunk. For a 20-hour question. It's more than a national political poll. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Very first question. Boom. Just how many hours per week do you work? Yeah. Now, I gave people four options. Mm -hmm. 40 to 45, 45 to 50, 50 to 55, and over 55. I had exactly three people out of 814 go, why didn't you make less than 40 an option? Ah. Interesting. I thought that was kind of interesting. Statistically, it's irrelevant. Sorry, you three people. Not to say that your question- You three people are irrelevant. For the purpose of our question, if you are working in a professional capacity, 40 hours is pretty normal. Mm. And so I responded back and I go, where are you? And they're like, "Uh, I'm in Canada. And I go, okay. I asked the other guy, where are you from? He goes, the Netherlands. And I was yeah. like, okay, like things are a little different. In fact, I went and did some research to find out like, oh my God, everyone thinks Americans, they work all the time. We're crazy. We love the work. Yeah. We love the work. We're not even in the top quarter of countries in terms of how many hours per week people work. Normal work hours. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so we averaged, and this is for all working people, not salaried yeah. versus hourly. This yeah. is just, just everybody. Employed people. Yeah, yeah, people who have jobs. The average in America is just over 36 hours per week. Mm, interesting. The Netherlands were, I think, 34. Mm. So that's kind of like, come on, man. Can't come at me for those two hours. But he was an architect, or at least he's in the architectural field. Mm-hmm. So, But they don't work that much. Yeah. Well, they don't work crazy hours. More than 40 hours a week. Yeah, maybe if you walk up to an architect in the Netherlands and ask him, how many hours do you work? You wouldn't necessarily think they're a workaholic. Yeah. Because they're like, nobody works 40 hours here. We live in paradise. (laughs) Yeah, it's cold, but it's great. Okay, so category one, 40 to 45 hours, 46%. It's almost half the people are Mm -hmm. right around 40 hours, 40 to 45. Yeah, what I would call normal hours, yeah. Pretty normal. 45 to 50 hours. Okay, that's climbing up there a bit. That was 30%. Mm. So now we have 70, basically 76% of the people are below 50 hours. Less than 50 hours. I mean, still, that's 20% more work than a 40-hour, five-day. Like, if you're working five days a week. Yeah, that's a 10-hour day every day. 
Yeah. That is an that's essentially working six days a week. Yeah. Is what that is. Yeah. Of regular kind of time punch. Okay, fifty to fifty-five was fifteen percent. Over fifty-five was ten percent. Hmm. So in my own office, there's a certain crop of us who get emailed all the hours that everybody in the office has been working. Logging in, yeah. And the way this information is used may not be the way that people knee-jerkingly think that it is. It's not to go, Andrew's duffing it, right? He's only worked 43 hours. We're going to go get on that guy. Yeah. We really look at it so that we can go, that guy's working too many hours. We need to shut that down. We look at it so that people aren't killing themselves or we look for patterns and go, this group is overworked right now. Can we take some people from here and move them over there so that everybody can get closer mm -hmm. to where we want people to be as opposed to- Wanted to be, yeah. I mean, there's 100 people. You're like, clearly, the 90 can make sure that these 10 aren't killing themselves. Mm -hmm. That's the idea behind it. Sure. When I take a look at the fact that our firm's around 110 people or so, since the 55 plus hours per week was 10% of the respondents here, I go, all right, so that's- that's like if I look at my own office, I go, am I going to get like 10 or 11 people that work more than 55 hours in a week, in any given week? Yeah, I kind of would. Mm. And the thing that's interesting is those people, at least half of them, won't work less hours no matter what we do. They're going to find a way to work those many hours. Or in their head, whatever it is they need to tell themselves or whatever they are currently telling themselves, they have to do this. Like nobody's making them do it. Mm-hmm. Which I think is kind of a... And you can't make them not, though, is the other part of that. Even if you told them to pull back or ease up, they probably would still... They still do it. Do the work and just not log the hours? Yes. We have a guy that got so tired yeah. of hearing us go, this guy works a billion hours. He got so tired of hearing it, he just would log 40 hours and then that's it. He would just say, I did yeah. 40 hours, bam, be done with it. Yeah. And we all knew that that's not what was happening. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we know uh, 46% work in pretty normal hours, 30% working uh, a little bit more than normal, and then the other 25% are kind of bananas. So then the question was, how often are your extra hours just to make the work better? Which, in my mind, is that kind of elective workaholism. We see this a lot in design firms or people who have designed roles. They're like, it's good, but if I work on it a little bit more, it'll be better. And when do you stop? When do you say, it's good enough? That's really hard for a lot of architects in designer roles to do. Yeah, it's a mental condition of wanting to improve things and not being really concerned with the hours it takes, but that the end game is something that's better than where it's at currently. Yeah. And again, that's the hours don't matter. I'm trying to make it better. Well, here's the other thing. And this has been true with every place I've ever worked. We do not... And maybe this says like, oh, maybe you need to get your financial business in order. But we never looked at a fee and said, that means this many hours. Mm. So don't do any more than that. We're like, that's the goal. Try to make that happen. But we're going to do what we're going to do to get it to where we feel we're not going to get sued or it's a good set of documents or the design is like something that we're proud of. Yeah. And it's almost, we're always over. We're always over. And I do think that's the Achilles heel of almost all architectural practices. I mean, if you go to any business things about professional firms, design firms, even if it's graphic designers or anything like that, they're always like, don't do a thousand iterations. Tell them you're going to do four iterations. And when you get to that fourth iteration, you stop yeah. and you know, and you move on and, da -da. and we just, 
it's not in our nature. I think as creative people, it's hard for us to just go, oh, okay, this is good enough. We just don't seem to do it. I don't know. And it's that phrase. I said it and then you said it. Uh, this is good enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like it tastes bad in our mouth, even to acknowledge the fact that, hey, you paid for four versions. And when I give you what you paid me for, that somehow I still look at it as in, ugh, I could have done better. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It needs just another version or two. And that's what happens, right? Can you imagine going to like a car shop or you get some new tires and you're like, yeah, I want to spend this much on tires. And then you get your car back out and they're like, you're like, wow, those tires are amazing. They're like, yeah, well, we had some better ones in the back. So that's what, <laughs> that's what we put on there. The better ones. Well, you're going to charge me more for that? No. No. Yeah, no. We just thought it would look better. I'm going to charge you for the ones that you asked for. Yeah. But these were better. So I'm going to give them to you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on, man. This is something that our professions, if anything, that's what we're known for doing. Yeah, it is an illness. So how often are the extra hours just to make the work better? The options were 10, 25, 50, and all the time. So 42% said, yeah, 10% of my extra hours are dedicated to just making things better. Hmm. 21% said 25% of my time is spent just to make it better. And then 20% said 50%. All the time was 18%. Hmm. So. If I do ugly math, I go roughly 60%. I mean, all these suggest that we're doing more than we need to just because we think we can do better. Mm -hmm. Not because we need to do better, but because we can do better. Yeah, we feel like we should do better or we can do better. Yeah, Yeah. I could do one more detail and that would help them understand what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to give you one more option, one more iteration, one more rendering. Like there's... yeah. Every single one of these people in some capacity goes, yeah, that's an everyday aspect of my life. For some people, 20% of the people, they're like, yeah, every hour I work over is to do more than I need to because I want to make things better. Mm -hmm. That also sounds like workaholism right there. Okay, last question. How often are your extra hours just to get the work done? Like just for you to do what you're supposed to have done. How much of that is going on? So again, 10, 25, 15% all the time. Oh, uh uh-huh. It's really 21%. 21 21% of the people chose 10% as the answer. They're saying that 10% of their time is spent just to get it done. 25% was 16%. And 30% basically said 50%. So of all the hours that they're doing, 30% said at least half my extra time. It's just to do like what I have to get done, Mm. which is hearing percentage over percentage is weird. Yeah. But that's the one that makes it not seem great as a profession, right? Where we're spending 50% of our time to just get the job done. That seems like there's something wrong with the way it works. Well, 50% of their extra hours. So if they work a 50 hour week, that's 10 hours. So they're saying five of those 10 hours is just to get done what I have to get done. Have to get done. Yeah. So all the time was 35%. Mm. That's the part that I found really interesting. I kind of expected that number to be a lot higher. Interesting. Somebody goes, well, I'd work a 40-hour week, but I have to get all this stuff done. So I worked another 10 hours. So of those 10 extra hours, 100% of that time was to do what I had to do, not what I wanted to do. Yeah. And for that to only be 35%, I found that shocking. I would have expected that number to be a lot higher. Well, what was the one before it? 30% too? It was 20% all the time. Like, so again, if someone works 40 hours, that's what they're expecting. Mm-hmm. 50 is what they work. 
only 18% said that those 10 hours were because they wanted to. So essentially you can kind of go, uh, 18 plus the 35. So you're looking at 53% or so are doing it either because they have to or because they want to. And the 47 balance is some combination. Mm-hmm. Interesting, I thought. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting numbers. So it leads me to ask this question. So here's the natural progression. Is being an architect an eight to five job? Without any conversation, if I said, hey, Andrew, being an architect, is that an eight to five job? What's your answer? No. <laughs> yeah, I would say no. I'd say no as well. Just be no. Yeah, no. But. I mean, is it an eight to eight job? I would say no either, but yeah, definitely not eight to five. Well, evidence suggests it doesn't have to be, number one, given the fact yeah. that the number of people that are putting in more time just because they want to, because they feel like they can make a better product. Yeah. Right? You're choosing to do that. That's very simplified. There's benefits that come out of you putting in extra hours and doing more work. The product's better, so you get recognized for it better, and career advancement or firm acknowledgement, or even your firm gets recognized and you get more work as a result of how awesome the last work you did was. Yeah. So that's obviously a consideration. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. I'm sitting down today with Jason Ellis, Senior Business Development Manager, Interior Product Solutions. Jason has been with Construction Specialties for 12 years and was previously the Operations Manager for Acrovin Doors as Business Unit Manager for Cubicle Curtain and Tracks. This interior product experience led to his current role at Construction Specialties, where he can utilize his passion about providing better solutions for the built environment for the people who engage with these spaces. Hey, Jason, thanks for joining me today. Appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. Hey, Bob, thanks for having me. Well, look, since I have you, and this is why we're here today, I want to talk a little bit about Construction Specialties and the Mastering Movement initiative that you have in place finding solutions that contribute to safe, resilient, and inspiring interiors is a goal for every designer. I think we can acknowledge that. How does construction specialties work with designers to help achieve this goal? Mastering physical movement when it comes to people and interior solutions, construction specialties, we've been doing this for 75 years now. And our main goal is to educate, collaborate, and partner with the architectural and design community. So whether it's around our entrance flooring systems, our impact resistant doors, or even our interior wall protection, which by the way, all of those products were actually designed and developed with a functional purpose, but having the ability to actually elevate the aesthetic design with them. And in some cases, they even serve as focal points. We wanna be that resource and partner to the architect and designer. We wanna be able to give them the confidence and the assurances When they're specifying these types of products, they know that ultimately they will be increasing occupant safety, reducing facility maintenance, and reducing life cycle costs. You brought up occupant safety and facility maintenance and life costs, all of which are very important considerations. This is something that I think architects focus on probably more than most people might be aware of. And companies like construction specialties, they're really there to help us take those considerations and bake them into the products and the designs that we're working with. Correct. When we're talking about those three specific pieces, the movement and flow of people comes directly into play because there's a direct impact on the interior resilience. Damage happens through daily use, not just actual abuse. 
So when you look at numbers like on average 2.9 million airline passengers cross through airports on a daily basis or 54,000 plus hotel properties in the U.S., which represent about 5 million guest rooms, but those guest rooms service 1.1 billion guests annually. That's a lot of traffic, especially in those major markets. And it's not from abuse. It's actually daily use. With the increased damage that can occur, the facilities actually start seeing increased maintenance costs and potential risk when it comes to occupant safety. And on the back end, both of those things become very, very costly to the owner. So in the end, what we're really wanting to do inside every building, we want that building to have the best chance to service those it was designed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. So architects should have a keen understanding of how the buildings they design are going to be used. But what considerations would you emphasize given your interest in intelligently built interior spaces? Well. While every project is unique and every project poses different challenges, there are three main aspects that, for me, remain constant. We need to make sure that we're protecting the walls, we're protecting the floors, and we're protecting the doors, because all three of those are vital components when we're talking about mastering the movement of people. The interior of these buildings essentially is the sum of their parts and how well they actually work together. So when architects and designers are coming together and they're specifying a specific system for a certain application, it becomes critical so that they have that confidence and assurance that what they're putting into those spaces can resist impact, is easily installed to a subcontractor or a general contractor or for the facility maintenance crew on staff. We need to make sure that these solutions can be maintained easily. Yeah. Jason, I appreciate you joining us today and speaking about the importance of mastering movements. I think all architects really think about the projects that they work on and how working with groups like construction specialties can help us deal with things like maintenance costs and occupant safety. And it's important. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about it. Bob, I appreciate you having me today. And thank you again. Yeah, thanks. Same to you. Construction Specialties has created a CEU specifically on mastering the movement of people in the building that architects are designing. This course is worth one AIA-LU or one IDCEC CEU or HSW and is part of the Mastering Movement Academy presented by CS. Visit MasteringMovement.net to take this and other courses. Again, that's MasteringMovement.net. So to the question, is architecture an 8-to-5 job? I kind of go, well, I suppose it could be. But any job, and by any job, I mean any professional salaried position, the hours are going to vary from time to time. And from my own personal experience, which is at 30 plus years now, I don't think architects work any harder or put in any longer hours than their professional cohorts. And you know what? Everyone's going to want to throw stones at me and go, that's not true. I work a billion hours a week. Well, I just asked 814 people. Yeah. We learned that 100% of those people, none of them worked a billion hours a week. Yeah. So I did a little search and I started with the simplest terms. Do architects work a lot of hours? That's literally what I, I thought. I'm going to go to the internet. Let's go to the Googs. Yeah. I'm going to go to the internet. We're going to solve this problem. 
So I ended up on the website Indeed, which is kind of a salary website. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was an article on there and it was listing the pros and cons of being an architect. And as you can guess, long hours were on the con list. Well, the con, yeah. Shocking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's certainly going to be on the pro list, but the fact that it exists, was anybody surprised by that? No, of course not. Yeah. So for giggles, I thought I'd use the exact same website, the exact same pros and cons of being a fill in the blank. And I looked at a bunch of other jobs. Mm. Here you go. Lawyers. Guess what's on the con list for being a lawyer? Yeah. Long hours, I'm sure. Long hours. Doctor. Guess what's on the con list of being a doctor? Yeah. Long hours. Long hours. Yeah. And what I thought was kind of amusing is they kind of broke it down a little bit. Like there were a little bit of variances. So in the legal profession, they kind of said, well, lawyers sometimes get paid based on the number of hours that they bill. So the more you bill, the more money you make. So there's a corollary. There's a reward system in place for you working a lot of hours. Working more hours. Yeah. There's a direct correlation. Yes. You want to make more money, work more hours, you'll get more money. It's transactional in that nature. Mm -hmm. But the hours they list are like 60 to 90 hours per week. Oh. This is the kind of bubble. Not all of them are working that, but that's kind of the bubble. Yeah. And that's a lot. For that, that pay, that reward system, that's the realm that it exists in. Mm -hmm. Remember, what was it? 10%? 10% of the people worked more than 55 hours. 55 hours. Yeah. So we're still below the 60 to 90 hour box that a lot of the high paid lawyers who were killing it that all architects seem to want to compare themselves to from a financial standpoint. Yeah. And then for the doctor one, the kind of caveat they put is not all doctors work all the time. Yeah. We all know this because try to get an appointment. It'd be next year in August when you get it. Yep. Yeah. And I don't work Thursdays or Tuesdays or Fridays or Mondays after one. It's always something. Hell yeah. But there's a little bit of a difference there because that's more private practice, established firms. Nobody comes right out of school. Most of the people I know went through medical schools. They're working like 24-hour shifts. Yeah. And then for the next decade after they get through their residency, they're working crazy hours too. And then when they go home, they're on call. And that changes their behavior. For sure. They're like, well, I'm not getting ripped tonight because I'm- Yeah. Or I can't even have two drinks. Yeah. I can't do anything. Yeah. Because, yeah. So I go, that's not really- Yeah. It's me if I'm up in my office and I'm working, or let's say I'm not working. I show up at seven o'clock and I don't leave till six o'clock. Am I working that entire time? No. Yeah. I'm telling stories for some of that time. Yeah. At least seven hours. At least seven hours. <laughs> worth. But the truth is I'm not whitewater rafting. Yeah. Like, so even if I'm there and I'm not like doing a detail, talking to a contractor on the phone, I'm still at the job uh, yeah. because I don't have the freedom to do anything else that I want in that moment. Sure. So there's still some brainwave capital that's being taken away from me when I spend 11 hours a day at the office. Yeah, just time, right? Well, yeah, time's all we got, man. I mean, it's just, again, you're having your time taken away from you. So here's another thing. Let's broaden our search requirements to all professional jobs, mm -hmm. but let's exclude hourly jobs, okay? Mm -hmm. So then you can go to sites like Gallup Poll. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Real, organized, proper research and demographics polls. So here's what I thought was amazing. Adults employed full-time in the U.S. report working an average of 47 hours a week. That's almost a full workday longer than a standard five-day, eight-to-five, with hour-for-lunch schedule. Mm -hmm. And I go, now keep in mind, that puts you solidly in our poll, 
of how many hours that's 76% of the people fall within that number from the Gallup poll. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 76%. So it starts to tell you we're not that much different from according to this every professional employed person who gets paid a salary in the United States fits that requirement. Yeah. That's the average. So I thought that was a pretty interesting way to kind of look at it. But here's the thing that was even more interesting to that. 25% of the people that responded to that Gallup poll said they worked more than 60 hours a week. 50 to 59 was 25. 41 to 49 was 9%. Straight up 40 was 37%. Less than 40 was, was 3. So 40 or less was 40% of the people. Everything above, like on our wheelhouse, was 59%. Mm -hmm. So again, there's two different pieces of information. They both suggest most people are working 45 hours a week, roughly. Yeah. Between 40 and 50. Again, not bananas information here. Mm -mm. So we're still back to the, are architects, are we actually workaholics? Now, what I don't know from the polls that I put out there is whether or not people considered all the work they do as the work that they do. So when I say, how many hours a week are you working? Are they doing this many hours in the office and this many in my side hustle t-shirt business? I don't know the answer to that question. I might have to put another poll out yeah. to get a clarification. And I wonder even in those polls, I have a feeling that people always underestimate those hours of their side hustle. Right. When you talk about how many hours you work, they're thinking about their main source of employment, which is 40 hours a week, and their side hustle doesn't come into those numbers, even though it might be 32 hours a week. It just doesn't feel like it, or it's not the same because it is, quote unquote, a side hustle. So I don't count it. It's not my main job. I consider it the side hustle. Because when they flip, then it's not your side hustle anymore, and it's your job. And then you go, oh, well, yeah, it's 35 hours a week that I'm making t-shirts, or 48 hours a week I'm making t-shirts. Yeah. Whatever it is. But I think in the beginning, the side hustle, in my mind, doesn't come into that thing because it doesn't register that way. Well, I'm assuming, and I don't know if this is due to TikTok and all those trends, because I have a TikTok account. I watch that stuff. <laughs> it took me a while to get all the dancing videos out of my stream. Feed. Yeah, yeah. Now I get a lot of stuff from people who, like, for a long time, it was, here's how you can use Amazon to become a million dollars a month reselling books. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Who would do that? And I go, million dollars a month sounds pretty good. It's always the same deal. I'll teach you how to do it. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, well, what are you getting out of that? Yeah. You know, he's selling his method. He's not actually doing the thing that he's saying made him the millionaire anymore. Sure. You could just keep doing this and making your million dollars, like you say. Or you're going to charge me $19.95 to tell me how to do it? Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. So I watched one of these videos once, and I got the amount of time this guy's putting into chasing down books at all these half-priced bookstores all over the place and the scale that he was having to work. Now, he ended up making some pretty good money, but that was a job. Yeah. And when he started getting the numbers that you're like, maybe there's something to this. He starts off as a hobby. Like, I have a real job. I work for Texas Instruments or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my nights and weekends, because it's fun, I'm going to do this. And ooh, I got a couple hundred bucks. Wow, that was fun. Yeah. Now he's driving around the tri-state area, buying every possible book he can. He's having rent storage trailers. I mean, yeah. this is now this dude's job. And I'm like, you were working 
15 hours a day, seven yeah. days a week yeah. to not work your eight to five job. And you're calling it not work, but it's still work. It's, it's still work. Different kind of work. Yes. Do you want to earn that much by not having to work, but driving around chasing books, going to every estate sale in, in a three state area? Eh. <laughs> it's like, is it, wait, that's not work? Wait, it sounds like work. That sounds like work to me. That sounds like work. <laughs> yeah. Or some guys like, how I became a millionaire owning coin operated washing laundromats. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, here's me collecting all my money. <laughs> He's like, just getting all these coins. Yeah. And he goes, after expenses, I made $4,812 this week. Yeah, exactly. I was like, what? Come on. <laughs> well, that's what they're trying to sell it to you now though. So they don't have to go to all the tri-state area for. That's right. Yeah. Books and to collect and vending machine money. You know what? Because it's still work and they want to go, how can I now <laughs> leverage? Yeah. yeah. So I mentioned this to you in our pre-call for the show, or at least it was while we were talking before we started the show. And it was like rule number one of that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, was that if you're working for money, like you're not rich. Yeah. Rich people, their money works for them. And it's the middle class that have to work for money. Yeah. Uh, middle class and below. Yeah. And the whole premise is, is if you go like, I'm rich, part of the way you get that is you're not working anymore. You are doing something that generates income passively or your money is doing the work for you, not you're out there driving through the tri-state area. Doing work. Yeah. yeah. That's the goal. Exactly. So let me ask you this. Here's the next section to kind of unbox that I have a note for. We have talked about this before, and it's got to be an issue. And I'm sure you see it in your students. I know that it comes up in my office from time to time. And it had to do with, and again, this isn't a work-life balance. Because we always maintain work-life balance doesn't mean 40 hours a week. What it means is that you have balance in your priorities between what you want to do and what you want to achieve. And I've always maintained, and I've had this conversation with a lot of younger folks, that if you want to be that person that wants to come in and work 39.8 hours per week, and you're good at your job, that whole thing, and it's a nice tidy 40 hours kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If that's all you want to do, because you're like, well, this is what you get. You're paying me for this, and this is what you're getting from me. So, And they would send me an email. I'm offline at five o'clock. Like There are those people, and I kind of go, this is a professional job. That's not how this works. Yeah. If you're needed, you're needed. That's how this works. But then what happens is those same people that want to say, I'm basically looking to do the bare minimum of what I've been asked to do. I've agreed to give you this, and this is what you're going to get. Then those same people are like, how come I'm not getting a bigger raise? How come I'm not getting promoted? How come I'm not having all these other things happen to me? When if I look at the person it is happening to, they are doing all those other things. That's a big consideration. Like That's the work-life balance. You are choosing to do one thing, and it leads to like cause and effect pretty straightforward. This is true with every professional job on the planet. Yeah. It's the same thing I tell my students. Just because you do what I say, that doesn't equal an A. What I'm asking you to do is a C or a B at most, because this is the minimum to pass the class, which is a minimum to pass the class is a C. Yeah. That's the grade. This is our expectation levels right here. It's the minimum. Yeah. Well, in this case, I don't know if I'd say it's minimum it's like we go, this is our expectation is this. Yeah. And for that, you get your paycheck. That's what you get. When you want to raise, well, why? Like, why should you get more? You're not giving me more. Mm -hmm. 
So there's part of that consideration. And I know that sounds really harsh, but really the reason why I'm bringing that up as a consideration is the very, very simple question. Are long hours the secret to success? So as a topic, are long hours the secret to success? I want to start with something that my dad used to say to me all the time when I was younger. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm, Yeah. That has stuck with me. And I would bet my last dime on this planet there's a book titled that somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's too too wordsmith to not be. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember this. I don't know what episode it was or what post it was. I talked about sketching Instagram accounts that are good for architects to follow. Mm. And they're all a bunch of architectural sketchers for the most part. But one of the guys I put on there, I think he's like Norwegian, and he does these ink monster drawings. I mean, he's a professional illustrator. This is what he does. But to keep his creativity and his talent sharp, what he does every day is he like water droplets ink onto a piece of paper, then he blows it. Mm -hmm. And it makes some kind of crazy Rorschach kind of blop to it. And then he turns that into a monster. Like he draws it, like just as a practice. He did a voiceover on one of his videos where he's drawing this troll, draws a lot of trolls because he's Norwegian. And he made the comment that he goes, I have talent. I'm way better than a lot of people without having to really do anything. But if I don't keep at it, someone who does not have the talent I have will be better than me. And it's the same kind of premise that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Hmm. I go, is that a generational thing? Is that something? Well, of course I heard it because my dad was born in the 30s and he's living through depression era kind of stuff. And they have that mentality of the shade's cool enough for someone who works in the sun. There's all these kind of sayings that I grew up hearing all the time. And I wonder if younger people, but younger in my mind is 35 and below. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a pretty broad swath of who's actually young. I don't need children to be a part of this. But do you think that that mentality of hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard? Is that a generational thing? I think so. Or it's an age thing. That's the other thing I can't decide. I would say it's generational, but I feel like maybe it's just an age thing that you start to realize it. When I was younger, I didn't think that way. I don't know. It's hard to explain because I've been thinking about some of that stuff also in different aspects. But definitely hearing it is a generational thing. Because, yeah, you and I heard all those kinds of things from our parents when we were growing up, because that was the way wisdom, I think, got passed down, was your parents give some sort of stoic quote. Right. They had all of them that applied to everything, right? Oh, yeah. I have some, but I don't think I have as many as my parents ever did, and I'm sure my kids won't have as much as I did, but yeah. Well, so I do feel like I should add on to that, or at least I feel the need to say that being hardworking does not mean that you will always achieve success. I'm not trying to say that putting in a lot of hours equals success and money and all those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I also think putting in a lot of hours doesn't always equal hard work either. (laughs) That's true. I've had a couple of people in my office where they would work a lot, a lot of hours, but they didn't get a whole lot of stuff done in those hours. Yeah. So just because you're there and you're quote unquote working a lot and logging a bunch of hours, that doesn't necessarily mean you're working hard either. That comes up in my office every now and then because someone will go, look, this person's doing 45, 46, 47 hours a week and this person's like barely cracking 40. And that person's manager will go, I get more out of that 40 than out of that 47. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to punish somebody for really being drilled in and focused when they do their work. They're really good at setting down and getting to it and getting it done. Yep, yeah. Where the other person, 
is logging all this time, but I don't see the kind of progress that I would with the other person. So that's definitely part of it. But since we're not suggesting that just because you're hardworking doesn't mean you're going to achieve success, I went down a rabbit hole. I said, all right, so is there anything actually to that though? Can you actually find some data that supports that working more is good for you? And I mean, good for your career, good for your pocketbook, good for all the things that you would prescriptively use to say, this person's successful. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Happiness is not one of those things, by the way. <laughs> now, remember, we talked about the Gallup poll, which is just like them calling people on the phone and asking. Mm -hmm. And it said that the number of hours average for US was 47 hours a week. Mm -hmm. That's like, ooh, we called a certain number of people and we projected it out. Extrapolated it out. Blah, 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 blah. So in the recent US census, this is going to blow your socks off. <laughs> I'm not wearing any socks. In the latest US census, the top 10% of Americans work 46.6 hours per week compared to 42.2 hours for the bottom 10%. And this is of income. So the top 10% of earners work basically 10% more on average. About four hours a week. Than the bottom 10%. 46.6 compared to 42.2. So 4.4 hours. And you go, okay, 4.4 hours doesn't sound like a lot. But you kind of go, well, it's the difference between 40 and 45 hours, which was one of the categories that we had. Like you're moving up into that upper bracket. Mm -hmm. Here's the part that's really amazing about that. That top 10% make more than double the average salary of the bottom 10%. Hmm. So if you're looking for some information that says, hey, if I work more hours, does that equal more money? This would say, yes, it does. So if part of your goal is to have more financial freedom and more money coming into your pocket, work more hours. Yeah. I think that's pretty amazing, quite honestly. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, to me, the part that's interesting is it's just one hour a day, essentially. Yeah. No, we're not talking huge numbers, and they're certainly not suggesting that 46.6 hours falls into workaholic territory. Yeah, you wouldn't think. No. And what do we say? 76%. Pretty much of the 814 people that responded to my poll, roughly 76% fall into that window. Mm -hmm. So again, I don't think that qualifies as a workaholic, to be honest with you. And so I was trying to look for other pieces of information. I read this article, I think it was on Medium. There's this guy, his name is Grant Cardone, and he's a self-made millionaire type guy. He gave an interview on CNBC. He's like, how do, how do you get other people who want to be millionaires? What can you tell them? And he goes, there's 168 hours in a week. You should be working most of them. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he says. Yeah, okay. Then you're like, okay, that sounds ridiculous. And he goes, okay, when you're not working, you should be reading. Mm -hmm. So of your time spent, shouldn't be on TikTok, shouldn't be on it. You should be reading books. Reading, yeah. Like you work or you read a book. Yeah. Tell other people how to make millions of dollars. Well, he's like, this is what I did this many hours in a week, and I worked them. I know. Right? Like, there's no shortcuts. That's crazy. So there was a guy named Eric Roberts who was a Stanford computer science professor. Now, this is in contrast to everything that we've heard so far, which I feel like we got to present this other side of the coin. Sure. Yeah. So he reported that productivity measured as the amount of output produced per hour generally goes down as the hours worked increases. I think that we would all 
just through our practical experience, acknowledge that that's true. When I was younger, I would have disagreed with that, but now I do not disagree with that at all. Yeah. Now, this is not specific to the field of architecture. Oh, yeah, sure. Just in general. Yeah. A lot of this stuff is like tech industry because the tech industry is like, it's notorious for the kind of amount of hours that people want to work and, you know, sending out emails at one o'clock in the morning and reading them and companies setting up read notifications so they know when you read it. Yeah. And they know if you're working at two o'clock in the morning, like that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I still want to say I remember, I don't think this is urban legend, but I, I don't have a source for it. It had to do back in the Microsoft days that there was not assigned parking. And so the people who got there first parked closest to the building. Mm. And it became a thing to have your car as close to the front line as possible. Close to the building. Because that's how people would go, well, Bill got here early. And people would show up at two in the morning and then they'd sleep at their desk or something <laughs> just so that they got their car parked up close. Got that spot. Yeah. Interesting. And when they also talk about, in some ways, this is, was related to coding. And they're like, the more hours they put in, the more garbagey the code got. Mm -hmm. And it created other problems for us. And so we're like, look, 38 hours, that's your cap. You're writing code, 38 hours is the most we want out of you. Because anything beyond that, your code turns into garbage. We got another problem. We're spending hours solving your garbage code. Spending time fixing it. Yeah. And there's got to be something to that for even what we do. I mean, this is a pretty technical aspect for the final 45% of our documentation process, mm -hmm. right? Once you get past schematic and design development, you're going into CDs. That's super technical stuff then. Mm -hmm. And you certainly don't want to have the equivalent of garbage code in your technical details. Garbage details. Yeah. I find it ends up being garbage notations. That's what happens. Oh, yeah. Things get noted wrong and the lines get pointed to the wrong thing or those sorts of things that happen when you start working like longer hours. I see a lot of that. Well, you know, there was the premise, I don't know what the time frame on this is, but the premise was, you know, as technology has automated more traditional work and roles, mm -hmm. you know, from building cars and digging ditches, that people would start working fewer hours. But evidence supports the fact that American men regularly work more than 40 hours per week, which is notably higher than what it was 25 years ago before a lot of this technological automation started being rolled out. Like we're working more now than we did 25 years ago. And the expectation would be that we're working less. Yeah, but we're not, for sure. We're not. I don't think anybody is. Mainly because I feel like it's that idea of being reachable at any time, all the time, that COVID really pushed to the forefront. You were always on. It was always there. I think that's the problem that technology has created for us as working people. <laughs> you know, it's always there. It is always there. And you know what? In my office, I've had a number of conversations because we use it. Well, we use it with the intent that it's informative and positive, but there's little toxic attributes to like on teams, you have like a green dot or a yellow dot or a red dot yeah. or a red dot with a line through it or an, a white dot with an X in it. Mm -hmm. And so when I open up teams and I go to my chat box, I pretty much talk to 85% of the people in my office in some capacity. And with the scroll of a button, I can tell who's online, who's not online, who's like away from their computer. Yeah. Just with a dot, just a colored dot. Yep. Yep. So you told me that you had done a little research into what workaholism is defined as. I'm kind of curious about that. Well, the stuff that I was looking at, right, it was just about workaholic in general, workaholics and the signs of being a true workaholic, which there's this one article that I found at Forbes that talks about the seven signs that you might be a, a workaholic. And the first one, of course, is 
you think of, of how you can free up more time to actually do work. Mm. You're not trying to make up time to do free time. If you're going to free up more time to do work, you always spend more time working than you initially intended, which I think architects are guilty of quite a bit. Yeah. I don't know that I do the first one, but I definitely do that one. I think this other interesting is you work in order to reduce feelings of guilt, anxiety, helplessness, or depression. Yes. All right. I'm, I'm two for three. I'm doing the, <laughs> I'm doing the seven right now. You've been told by others to cut down on work without listening to them. If that's my wife, then yes. You become stressed if you are prohibited from working. No. You deprioritize hobbies, leisure activities, and or exercise or other hobbies because of work. Yes. You work so much that it has negatively influenced your health. That was the last one. Yes. So what am I, five out of seven? Yeah, yeah. I'm somewhere in that same range as well. I'm doing all right. I'm like, I'm not seven out of seven. <laughs> I need to I need to work harder. I need to get the all seven. I got to get the extra ones in there. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting is there's talked about a couple of personality traits that tend to be evident or manifest themselves, maybe are part of the workaholic. One is agreeableness, which I thought was interesting. Always being agreeable to yes, I'll do it. Or yes, yes, yes. Which architects are in a way, sometimes we have a hard time saying no to stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would never call myself agreeable, but I could see it from that standpoint. <laughs> well, here, before you move on, yeah. I took that differently. When you said they're agreeable, I meant like they agree with people. And I go, I don't think that part of what we do is we like tend to push back or say, look, we need to establish priorities in order to solve this problem. Like if somebody just says something, we rarely just take it at face value. We always got to do something to it, which is different than, hey, Bob, would you do this? Yes. Well, this says, this says workaholics are more likely to be altruistic, compliant, and modest. Modest, really? Yeah, that's what that says. Okay. It doesn't mean all of them. It just means some of them. Sure. And I can see that. People that just say yes all the time, you know, neuroticism. So workaholics tend to be nervous, hostile, and impulsive, which I thought was interesting. Or intellect or imagination. They're generally inventive and action-oriented. And I think that's where we fall in for sure as architects. Yeah, we got pressure points on all three of those yeah. categories. Which I thought was interesting. I brought this up earlier to somebody called me a workaholic most recently, like maybe last month. And I was like, what? <laughs> I kind of got an argue with them about it. All my free time, I just feel with work. But I was like, but it's just because I don't have anything else to do. It wasn't because I wanted to. <laughs> it was like I was trying to keep myself busy. Maybe you're convincing yourself. You know, so my sister, the one that's 18 months older than me and just retired, mm-hmm. she worked as hard as anybody I know. Like she'd be on vacation. And she's like, man, I got to do this conference call and I'm going to write this report real quick. Her just doing like a couple hours of work all the time was not work to her. Yeah. I was with her and we were on holiday once and nobody's working. And she had calls scheduled periodically throughout the time when we were there. She's like, oh, I just got to do this. In her mind, if she's sitting in the room with everybody else and like a football game's on and she's working, that's not work. Like that doesn't qualify. Yeah. Yeah. When it, of course it absolutely qualifies. Yeah, for sure. She just, she never looked at it that way. Didn't see it that way. Yeah, exactly. Or just a couple hours a day here or there. That's still not really work. Even if quote unquote on holiday, but I'm still doing some stuff. It's not real work. I think that's the thing. Well, she started prioritizing her health. And so if she wasn't working, she was exercising. Mm. That was it. A or B. Yeah. There was not a lot. But then when she was off, then she's on holiday with a little bit of work and a little bit of exercise. Yeah. Like those are, it was always constant. It was constant. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we think? What's the takeaway? 
are architects workaholics? Part of me goes, we have all the attributes and the qualities to fall into that definition. But I think for the most part, as a whole, we're not on the fringe. We're not doing anything more than anybody else who's as highly educated as we are as a group of people isn't doing. Yeah, I would agree. I think somehow it's tied back to that undervalued thing. I don't think we would think we were workaholics if we didn't feel like we were undervalued. Mm-hmm. Most architects feel like we're undervalued. And so because we're putting in what, what is normal work, but it doesn't seem like it's valued that much that we tend to view ourselves as workaholics, when in reality, we're probably not. Although I would agree in my research and even just going through our list that we just read through that we have a lot of characteristics that could push us in that direction. And I think that personality-wise, sometimes we can easily fall into that. But I don't think that across the board, I would consider us all to be workaholics. I think that's really interesting, the bow you put on it with the idea that if we feel we're undervalued, then we're doing the work for the sake of the work, as opposed to any other consideration. My reward for doing more work is I got to do more work. (laughs) Yeah. If you're feeling underappreciated as a result of doing that type of thing, I think that maybe that explains a lot of why there's no shortage of information that supports the idea that on the whole, we don't work more than any other demographic that's at our education level. Mm -hmm. Across the board, the evidence is there. It says it's not crazy. Yeah. But for some reason, it's romanticized and it's brought up all the time that architects are workaholics. I don't know. I find it an interesting concept to think about when you start thinking about all the ingredients that kind of go in and how that product comes out at the end. Yeah. So. Well, and I can say, I think for me, I've been through times where I've felt like a workaholic in my career, but they kind of come and go. When I first started working, I didn't feel like I was really a workaholic. But when I first bought my company, I felt like I was a workaholic because I was putting in a whole lot of hours. And then as the company got to a stable position, I felt less like a workaholic. And then as it started to grow again, then it was more. I mean, I think it's cyclical. I wouldn't necessarily say I've always a workaholic, but it's easy, I think, in our profession to just slide in and out of that. And sometimes maybe you slide into it and it just becomes the norm for you. And that's where you stay, which again, probably not great for you, but I can see that happening for some people. Well, I hope that the people that read the blog posts that'll come out with this episode and the people that listen to it, I hope you guys go to the website. I mean, if you disagree, I want to hear it. I want to know. This is a good topic for us to put out there for people who are trying to understand this profession better and understand what they're getting themselves into, both from a pro and from a con standpoint. Yeah, certainly. Okay, well, it's 2023 now, New Year, but that doesn't mean that we're getting rid of an old fan favorite. (laughs) The What's the Rank? It'll probably be this one for a little bit longer. We haven't worn it out yet, I don't think. Yeah, as long as people seem like they like it, I'm going to keep rolling with it. And I told Andrew this, like, I don't know, a week or two ago. You know, sometimes coming up these rankings is kind of hard because we're all like, how many times can we rank what's your favorite salad dressing? (laughs) They have to be generic enough to where people can have an opinion about it. You know, like you can't say, what's the worst three chairs? How many chairs do people actually know that other people know to have? Yeah. Like, it's just, it doesn't work. So they have to be generic enough. Like, it's hard sometimes to come up with a lot of these. And I just had like, I don't know, this epiphany. And like 10 of these just shot out of my brain. I was like, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. 
we have at least two and a half months. <laughs> a little backlog, yeah. Yeah, most of them are not food related either. No, that's good. So let's get into this week's ranking. All right. Because it's something that, I mean, everyone's going to have an opinion about this one. I feel like they're all going to end up in a similar spot, though. You think so? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I asked somebody in my office, and they were so specific with their answers. I was like, uh, we could just say this. <laughs> okay, let's just get to it. Yeah. So the first, what's the rank of 2023, is we're going to be ranking the worst three household chores. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I had to think a little bit about it, because I was trying not to get too specific. Because you hate also. them all. No, actually, like, I hate them all. I don't. That's the problem, is I don't really mind cleaning. It's not a big deal for me. Kind of do it and move on. But So, if I start with number three... Mm -hmm. That's how we do this. Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm going to go with cleaning the shower. Okay. Because I have tile. Everything in my bathrooms is tile. A lot of grout. Yeah, a lot of grout and stuff, and so... That's annoying to me. And it's also just because how I am, but I scrub and, you know, I'm like, it's not like I just spray some stuff and wash it off with water. No, I'm in there with a brush and maybe a toothbrush and I'm cleaning. So time consuming. You know, I cleaned the shower recently. I use CLR, mm. right? That stuff's awesome. Yeah. Makes short work of anything. But I mean, this is a little vivid, everybody. I'm in there like I'm taking a shower, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yet I'm cleaning it. So the shower head is spraying. It's running. Yeah. Yeah. Because I want some positive pressure because I don't want to be trapped in basically a glass death box of the fumes, fumes from this product. Yeah. But I'm in there as if I'm taking a shower, spraying and scrubbing and the water's going. And I thought, man, I'm probably, I just lost a year off my life. I'm sure. <laughs> With the amount of fumes. <laughs> like it's on my skin. Yeah. Like, like every time. I have like contact burns everywhere. Yeah. Which I don't. Nothing. It was fine. Yeah. It was fine. True. Actually, I felt great. I felt great. Yeah. I felt so clean. <laughs> crisp. I was on cloud nine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't love clean and shower, but it doesn't move the needle for me. All right. That's fair. This is one that if I don't get asked or voluntold to do this, I don't know that I would ever do it. Mm. And when it is requested me, heck, Bob, will you go do blank? My response is, oh. I'm dreading it. Mm -hmm. I hate it. Mm -hmm. Number three for me is washing windows. Oh, goodness. I can't tell you. I'd have to do it like four times a year. Oh. And we have like sticker bushes in front of some of them. I'm oh. out there getting stabbed. And... You're talking about like outside the house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Outside. It, well, it's outside and inside. Mm. But outside, you know, you got your squeegee and I got my bucket and the soapy water. And I'm, da -da -da -da. I mean, like if you're going to do it, you do it right. That's just how we rolled the porcelain house. Gotcha. What's crazy about it is the nature of the windows in my house, they go from six inches above the floor to eight foot. Yeah. And so the amount of like stand up tall and then squat down low and then stand. I do like 10,000. It's a full body workout. Yeah. Yes. My hamstrings the next day, I'm like, oh my God, I can't move. <laughs> uh, it's terrible. Yeah. I could see that. And I would challenge anybody. Actually, I encourage anybody to come wash the windows at my house and see for themselves. Yeah. Come give it a test run. If you don't believe me, I'm more than happy. Yeah. I'll let one person a quarter. Yeah. I'll supply <laughs> all the stuff you need. Yeah. yeah. And then you let me know if you got a good hamstring workout. Yeah. If you hate it or not. Yeah. 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 All right. Just come see me. Okay. I think it sounds like a, sounds like a plan. All right. Washing windows. That's number three. What's your number two? I mean, number two is, is also bathroom related and it is toilet cleaning. <laughs> 
My number two is cleaning the toilet. That's why I figured we were all going to end up in the same bowl. Kind of wanted to get it. No, no, yeah. no I'm not ta- cleaning inside the Clean bowl. The is not that big a deal. I, it basically cleans itself every time you flush, right? Isn't that how that works? <laughs> but it's like the seat and the behind the seat part, or what? Uh, like flipping it up, and it's just all no. I don't like it. You got to take the seat off to properly clean it. Come on. Ooh, ooh, yeah. No, it's the the getting on the hand. It's the outside around the base because like it gets it gets dusty back there, and you know whatever. I mean, you also have to get in it. It's not like you can do it with the big 10-foot pole. Yes. You're like- You are up you're close up and in personal <laughs> with the yeah. toilet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I'm like, I don't I don't like that. That's not a, not a position I, don't I be like there. to really spend time I don't want to be in. there. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. So we both had the same number two. All right. Number one. All right. Number one. If we have the same- uh, And it's not going to be the same. Okay. I bet. It might be, but no, no, no. Because mine's really specific, and this won't happen for a lot of the population. This won't matter. Cleaning the cobwebs out of the corners of your giant ceiling rooms. Well, yeah, no, that's fun. That's You're fun. like, I no, I that. leave those there. They deserve to live yeah. freedom. That's right. That's right. No, it's cleaning the cat box. Yeah, that is a bad one. You've got that all automated now, but I don't. I hate it. I loathe it. I loathe it. I loathe it. Even though it's not hard, and it doesn't take me very long to do it, I, it's just like, again, when it's time to do it, and I'm just like, I don't, I would pay someone to come into my house. Yeah. I'm like $20 just to clean the cat box. It'll take you five minutes because it only takes me five minutes and I hate to do it, but yep, here you go. Yeah. But that's the one. I can't stand it. I get it. it. I get it. As soon as they're gone, I'm be, I'm be so happy. Oh, I'm so happy. I used to have to do it and I didn't love it. And because the thing is, is you can't let it go too long or you'll be cleaning up a different kind of problem. Yep, somewhere else, not in the camp. Yeah, they're box. like, what? You're not going to take care of this? Well, let me just teach you a little <laughs> yep. lesson. Yes, I know. So you're on I top know. of it. And we had two cats, and so we had two litter boxes. <clears throat> like double the fun. It's not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a fair one. My number one is, it's not so much that I hate it, it's that it just takes so long to do. Mm. And partially, I think it's because when I do it, and I do it once a week, pretty much, mm. it's extra. And that is just vacuuming. Oh, yeah? It's funny. Look, I generally speaking, don't hate vacuuming, but, you know, I live in a giant mansion. It takes me hours to vacuum. To vacuum everywhere? Yeah. Because it's every floor. It's carpet, tile, wood, mm-hmm. everything gets vacuumed. Yeah. And then I vacuum all the furniture. Mm. I don't move couches, but I move tables. I move chairs. Because I've got two dogs and a cat, and I don't like, yep. I don't want any hair in a, on the floor. That stuff hides. All that stuff's yeah. got to get moved. Yep, yep. All the furniture's got to get vacuumed. It takes forever. Yeah. There's not a chore in my house that I couldn't do 10 times over in the time it takes me to vacuum our house. Yeah. That's funny. I like vacuuming. Mm-mm. I mean, it takes me a long time, too, but it's, to me, I don't know, it's something sort of cathartic about it, because it just... I turn it on. I can't hear anything. It's like it's a zone out in a way. It's sort of therapeutic, maybe. It is annoying, and it does. It is the longest cleaning task in yeah. the house. Yeah, for sure. I don't like it. And I will tell you, my disdain. We actually had a chat about this in my office today. It took like twenty minutes, <laughs> and I was saying, I love hair. I like hair. Hair's nice. Uh, you hate loose. If hair. it's not yeah. attached, it's like the grossest thing in the world to me. Yeah. I have so many horror stories to justify why I am the way that I am. Like the people hear them, they're like, okay, I get it now. That's disgusting. Everything you just told me, mm. how are you not in constant therapy over these horror hair stories that you've told us? You should be. I should be. So 
I don't like having hair around. So mm. when my wife and I first got married, we had, I'm trying to think, did we have the cat yet? Anyway, we had this apartment and we had this vacuum cleaner. It's kind of like you go to Target and you buy a vacuum cleaner or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would run my hand on the carpet and uh, like all this pet hair still coming up. I'm like, this is so disgusting. Mm-hmm. And I made like $11 a year at this time. Like I didn't make yeah. any money. Yeah. I had to buy the cheapest vacuum that there was. Yeah. Oh, without any conversation with my wife, I went and spent $1,300 on an Auric vacuum cleaner. Oh my God. <laughs> my wife wanted yeah. to kill me. I bet. Literally, that might have represented. I mean, I'm my salary then was probably tw- that was probably a month. It was probably twenty seven thousand dollars a year. Yeah, before taxes, and I spent over a th- like literally it was like twelve or thirteen hundred dollars on this vacuum yeah. cleaner. And I'm like, yeah, but it really worked. And I showed her. I go, look at all this hair, and I'd rub the floor, and hair come up, and I go, one pass, pow, 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 and nothing. It's all gone. Now we did keep that vacuum for like twenty years. This is like commercial grade hospitality vacuum cleaner. Yeah, big old vacuum. It weighs almost nothing. Everyone's all about the Dyson. I go, those things are like rolling around small vehicles. They're huge. I hate them. I really don't like them. Mm. My little Auric, it weighs nothing. It's got like a 30-foot cord on it. So I don't have to plug in in every single room. I go, this one plug, I get these three rooms. Furniture, the whole thing, it's light. It's the way to go. There you go. Free ad to Auric. (laughs) You still have it? We have our second one now. Oh, all right. My wife has seen the light. Is it the the backpack strap? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> oh, Even okay. though that has its appeal to me. <laughs> I know. For me too. I'd love that. I mean, I feel like those don't, for some reason, they don't ever seem like they work very well though. Maybe you got to buy the right grade. Well, the only time I ever saw them being used, they have like an 8,000 foot cord on it and it's some janitor in the school using it and he hits an entire wing from one plug. And when he's done, you're like, there's still stuff on the floor. Yeah, I know. It's not so much a reflection of the quality of the vacuum. It's the quality of the labor. <laughs> Vacuuming. It's user error, maybe. Yeah. Yes, maybe. Maybe. Okay. I think we've reached a point where I'm going to call today's show a wrap. Thank you so much for being with us today for episode 116, Workaholic. Special thanks to our sponsor, Construction Specialties maker of architectural building products designed to master the movement of buildings, people, and natural elements. Construction Specialties has been creating inspired solutions for more intelligently built environments since 1948. Visit masteringmovement.net to learn more. We would also like to thank our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast player of choice so you can get alerted every time we publish a super duper new episode. While you're there, please take a few moments and leave us a five star. 45 is the new 35 rating. (laughs) To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info about this spectacular episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your voice and join the conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Happy New Year. Cheers. Cheers.